This podcast is the production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. Every single person has to answer this question. Is there a being that exists outside of myself that we call God? And if that being exists, can he come into my life and affect me? I'm Dr. Sue Ellen Nolan, and this is my podcast, Authentic Faith in Life. Good afternoon. <laughs> I'm Dr. Sue Ellen Nolan, and it's such a pleasure to be here with the Institute to do this teaching. When David asked me about doing the teaching on the Last Supper, I was really excited about it and, you know, thought, okay, the Last Supper, that kind of, kind of brings it down to one little deal, kind of a big deal, but a little deal, so how, where do I go with this? And as I started to look into different resources and stuff, I realized that, of course, this is the biggest deal. And it's going to tie in the Eucharist and the Mass and everything. And uh, the Eucharist is something that I love to teach on and have teachings in the background that I've done before. So it was really exciting then to watch everything come together. So we're going to kind of look at the progression through the way that Christ instituted the Eucharist through the Last Supper and things prior. First of all, we're going to look at some of the promises that we see in Scripture. The book of John is such beautiful, uh, poetic, a love story to us, ultimately. We hear it begin with the Word made flesh. And that's such an important thing in this teaching because the Word is going to figure into part of what happens with this. But here's some of the promises that we hear. In John, we see the scripture, Before the feast of Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to pass from this world to the Father. He loved his own in the world, and he loved them to the end. The devil had already induced Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, to hand him over. So during supper, fully aware that the Father had put everything into his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, he rose from supper and took off his outer garments. There's some promises in there related to our own commissioning as well as the commissioning of the apostles and to our identity in God. We hear that Jesus says that authority comes from God the Father. and We consistently see him take in scripture that authority from God the Father and very much especially when he's taking that authority and he's giving it to the, to the disciples and he's, he's, um, he's commissioning them into the priesthood. We see it in the scripture where he gives the authority from God the Father, Father to them and he tells them to go out and forgive sins that are forgiven and, remit, uh, and retain sins that are retained. We see that in part of the commissioning for the sacrament of reconciliation. But we consistently see in key teachings that he takes the authority from God the Father and he and he demonstrates it outwardly to the apostles. We also receive that authority, not quite in the same way as the priesthood, of course, but we do receive it as well in the office of the priesthood. So we get that authority as well. We also see it in our identity, our identity as sons and daughters of God the Father. It's in our, in our Christian anthropology, we know that we are created in the image and likeness of God. And that's such a beautiful, powerful statement to be created in the image and likeness of God the Father. He loved us so much, he calls us into being, each and every one of us, and he creates us in a particular way. That identity that we have images God in that we are spirit, and we know that we belong to the ultimate spirit, which is God the Father. We hear St. Saint, Saint Augustine talk about that longing for God, and we truly 
want our spirits to ultimately be back with the spirit that, that created us. So there's that ultimate longing for communion that is created right in our identity as sons and daughters of God. So we see that Christian anthropology in our image. We also see it in the likeness. And the likeness comes more from what Jesus did and demonstrated to us as he walked this earth. He came here for a reason. He came to establish a visible and invisible church. He came to show us the way. And then he came to die for us on the cross. So we're made for God. We begin in him and we end in him. And if you know any of St. Thomas Aquinas's arguments for the existence of God, that's, that's one of them. You guys can look that up and check it out. It's beautiful theology on the existence of God. We also see in this a friendship and responsibility. We hear Christ say, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've told you everything I've heard from my father. It was not you who chose me, but I who chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And this I command you, love one another. So we see that friendship that Jesus establishes with the apostles, and again, he establishes it with us as well. And it's a commissioning again, in the sense that we are set out on mission. We are called to an obligation I realized that as I became a Catholic and converted to the Catholic faith, that there was a different standard that, that was bestowed on me just for sake of, the, the, of my sacramental initiation into the church. Because right from the beginning, according to Seneca Vatican Council's writings so beautifully, we as lay people are called into mission as well. So we look, we look at that and we see the friendship and we see the responsibility that we have in coming into communion with Christ. And we also see the commandment to love one another. When we understand this on the deepest level, then Jesus washes our feet. Here's more promises. And these are critically important promises that are going to set us up for what happens during that Paschal mystery. Again, the advocate, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always, the spirit of truth, which the world cannot accept because it neither sees nor knows it, but you know it, because it remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live and you will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I in you. What a beautiful promise that he gives to us. And we know that Jesus was alluding to the Holy Spirit, of course. We understand in salvation history the beautiful plan that God had right from the beginning because he made a way for the Holy Spirit to be present and to interact in our life. We have this scripture in John 20 that says, I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Christ pulled this off. Now we look at his anthropology. He's fully human and he's fully God at the same time and he had to have that human element in order to fulfill the promises of what he was going to go forward and do. He also had the full divinity in order to fulfill the promises in his anthropology of what he was going to do. And those two united are what allows him to bring forth this ultimate plan that God who loves us had for us. And, you know, we, don't, we see it no better place than on the cross. And, you know, we want to talk about the cross as we go into Holy Week, the beautiful crucifix. And, it's, you know, it's such a testament to what happened we hear our Protestant brothers and sisters 
have words about us having a crucifix, and we have the corpus of Christ, and it's not very attractive. We have it on the cross, but there's a purpose and a reason and a meaning behind that that is so deep and fruitful that it's just completely profound when we fully understand it. We have the obedience of God through his Son to fulfill the promises that he made to us out of love. We have Christ who walked this path that we're about to go through in Holy Week to the cross and to the suffering that he was going to endure that we can't comprehend. You know, we have had uh, a few years ago, there was this writing circulated about what Christ experienced physically, possibly on the cross by, by a physician. It was very powerful, and it really kind of broke down what possibly happened to him physically. And, you know, it was profound to read it. Then we have the Passion of the Christ with Mel Gibson with that example right there in front of us of, of what happened. I mean, it's, it was painful to endure watching that again and again. But what we don't comprehend is what Christ did in death and how he took on the sins of all of ours, all of humanity, from the beginning of time to the end of time, every single human being that is called into existence. He took those sins on. We can hardly comprehend what that desolation, despair, we don't have words for it in our language, what he endured in that for us. And again, he did it out of obedience. It's obedience that put him that put him on this crucifix. Well, then we pair that obedience of Jesus in his mission with the love of God the Father. And we see how much God loved us. We're going to look a little bit at, at covenantal history. We see how much he loved us, that he had a plan for us right from the beginning. He had a plan for mankind built out of the love that he had for us. He called us into creation because he wanted to share that love with us, his created creatures. It doesn't get any more powerful than that, the love that God has for us. If we could just sit in that love for a moment, we would feel the full impact of our identity. Despair leaves when we comprehend the love that God the Father has for us. So we unite that love of God the Father with the obedience of Christ on the cross. And what happens in that moment, in that moment of consummation, what happens in that moment? The Holy Spirit bursts forth. The Trinitarian love is fully, fully comprehended on that cross. And the Holy Spirit bursts forth. And in that sense, that's the only way God could have set it up for us, for our salvation. So the scripture that we read, that the advocate will come, the counselor, our companion that will come, then has the ability through this theology, through this ultimate plan that God had, then has the ability to indwell within us. So then the Holy Spirit can come. Jesus can go with the ascension. He can go back to heaven and take his place at the throne of God next to him. And he can do what he does there in heaven while the Holy Spirit can indwell within us. But it even gets better because then we're going to see through Scripture in John that not only does he find a way to spiritually indwell with us, but he's going to physically indwell with us as, as well. A few years ago, I was a DRE in the Archdiocese of Detroit. We had 25 um, confirmation kids come in. And um, so we were going to teach them for the year about what confirmation is. And I remember somebody giving me the statistic. You hear Matthew Kelly say it, that 85% of the youth leave the church within the first five years of confirmation. And I was determined that I was going to try and do something so these kids would, would stay. And so I kind of made that my mission for the year, to teach them what this church meant. And these are some of the things that we're going to talk about in here today, uh, is, is the Eucharist. We, that is a Catholic event. 
That is a Catholic sacrament, and we only have it. And if we fully understand what the Eucharist is, we'll never walk from it. We'll never leave the church. So here we have the beauty of Christ who is going to indwell with us physically, physically as well. So we're going to talk a little bit of the covenant. You guys probably are a little familiar with uh, covenant theology. You've probably heard the word covenant before. So we're going to just kind of do a little overview of it. And it's an oath in an exchange of person, a sacred familial bond. It occurs on the level of our ontological existence, on the level of being, we become God's children. Now we kind of want to differentiate that between a contract because a contract is an exchange of items or goods. And what we understand in the sense of this ontological exchange of persons in love, in a familial bond, is that God takes us in our identity, body, mind, and spirit, how he created us, and we belong to him. We belong to him. And it, it is something that infuses our very being and our very existence. You can't take it away. We belong to God. You can't take that offering away. We see this in the indelible mark that happens in holy orders, where that mark is made on the priest in, in the ministerial priesthood, and it's an indelible mark. It changes him on an ontological level. It can't be taken away for all intents and purposes. A covenant is a solemn promise fortified by an oath concerning future action. The oath might be expressed in words or in a symbolic action. Both the Sinai covenant and the covenant in Christ's blood brought into being a people of God and called for complete surrender to God in response to his love. That's from the Catholic Encyclopedia. So then we have this covenant salvation history. We know that there is Adam and Eve. That was a marital covenant. Then we have Noah, God's covenant extended to the family. We have Abraham, covenant with Abraham, that extended to the tribe. We have Moses then. And that whole covenant extended out into the nation. We have David. The covenant, covenantal experience then extended to, the, to a kingdom. And then Jesus Christ again. Old Testament. Now we're going to the New Testament. Jesus Christ, we understand, brings that final new covenant. And it extends to all the people on the earth. We're going to just read a little bit of scripture related to it. You guys are familiar with this scripture, Jeremiah 31, 31. See, days are coming, oracle of the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. They broke my covenant, though I was their master, oracle of the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, oracle of the Lord. I will place my law within them and write it upon their heart. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will no longer teach their friends and relatives, know the Lord. Everyone from the least to the greatest shall know me, oracle of the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and no longer remember their sin. Just a foreshadowing of what's going to happen with the fulfillment of Christ in the New Testament. Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about this interior law of charity in the New Covenant. The new law, or the law of the gospel, is the perfection here on earth of the divine law, natural and revealed. It is the work of Christ and is expressed particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. It is also the work of the Holy Spirit, and through him it becomes the interior law of charity. 
I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. I will put my law into their hands and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's from the Catechism 1965. You see these old sacrifices of the people of God also represented in a variety of ways the single one that was to come. Christ himself, I mean, was both a sheep because of his innocence and simplicity of soul and a goat because of the likeness of the flesh of sin. And whatever else was foretold in many and diverse ways in the sacrifices of the old covenant refers to this single one which has been revealed in the new covenant. It's just a beautiful quote from St. Augustine. Here's a couple of uh, quotes from a little book called Love Alone is Credible, Hans van Urs von Balsazar. I'm going to read these slowly. The logos of both his teaching and action as a whole has to be interpreted in this relationship to the hour that he awaits, to the baptism that he desires, to the event that opens up his prophetic mission, which is to bring the old Jewish covenant to its completion in the new sacrificial covenant, the new blood of the covenant, the new covenantal meal. And then one more, obediently identifying himself with his mission. He himself is his mission in person and therefore in his kenosis as the servant of God. He becomes the manifestation of God's eternal love for the world. Okay, here's a question for you. You probably know the answer, but I'm throwing it out there anyway. What is the greatest prayer in the Catholic Church? The Mass. The greatest prayer in the Catholic Church is the Mass. The Last Supper Mass is a living memorial, a divine liturgy, a prayer. It is a sacrifice, an act of worship where God makes himself present in a liberation that stands outside of time in the paschal sacrifice, an ongoing covenantal mystery and miracle. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, we hear the, in the first line, a living memorial. Now we hear that the, the word as a memorial kind of reminds us of somebody that's passed away and we're going to have a little celebration of, of their life. That's kind of to memorialize them. But this is a, a different type of memorial according to the Jewish custom. In, in the Hebrew people's custom, a memorial for them, especially the Passover as they, as they celebrated it throughout the centuries, meant that God made himself present to them. So each time they celebrated the Passover, they understood that that meant God was present to them just as he had been during that early time with the Exodus. So they knew that they were going to participate in something that was outside of time and that their God would be present to them. That's so powerful. And we pull from that because it's true in the celebration of our Mass. That's why it's a living memorial. When Christ becomes present on that altar, the veil of time comes down. All heaven is exposed on the altar. God becomes present to us. He's there. We step outside of time for those moments on that altar during the Mass. We step outside of time and we participate in the divine liturgy that's happening on the altar. It's such an unimaginable gift that we participate in. The, the sacrificial aspect is there. We know that it's a bloodless sacrifice when it's presented on the altar, even though it was a bloody sacrifice originally. And the covenantal history has it as a bloody sacrifice. But we know Christ transformed that in his final act on the cross. 
and then transferred that into the Last Supper, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, we know that this is a continual renewal of that covenantal relationship. When we become present with our God during that Mass, we are renewing our covenant. When the priest, through the power of his hands, through apostolic succession and, and the laying on out of the hands, when he presents the host and the wine to heaven and those miracles happen on the altar, God becomes present for us in that. And that transformation happens beyond our expectations. It becomes alive. And we, we can see the time when the priest pours the water into the chalice and then the incense, the prayers go up in the form of incense. That's when we participate. That's when we give ourselves and we participate in that time. So we can be present as well to this ongoing event that is revealed to us on the altar. This is a liberation. When our God is present and we participate in that, we are continually liberated. And we see that again, going back to the, to the Old Testament, to the Hebrews. We all know what the Passover was and the exodus that happened. There's a liberation that happens. They're liberated out of slavery and we're liberated out of death, sin, and suffering when our suffering is used for our re redemptive suffering. There, this paschal sa sacrifice of Christ being the lamb is present. We can see the, the typology in the Old Testament in the book of Revelation in the book of John about that actual paschal lamb. And we, we have all probably heard some of this, how the lamb has to be a male lamb with no broken bones, perfect. It has to be sacrificed. It's blood poured out. And then, then the, the lamb has to be consumed. The two things that happened in the Passover was they took the blood of the lamb and they wiped it on the doorpost. But then the other part was they had to participate by eating it. They had to consume the lamb. And that's all typology that prefigures what happens at the Last Supper. But we understand this as an ongoing mystery and miracle that happens on the altar. We look also uh, at the road to Emmaus. We see this is in Luke 24, 29. We, we hear them talking, stay with us for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So we went in to stay with them. And it happened that while he was with them at the table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. So here's the resurrected Christ. They don't know it's him at this point, but he comes in to them, with them, and he does these same steps that we're going to see through the Last Supper. He took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. Then we understand that then their eyes were open and they recognized him. Then the two recounted what had taken place on the way and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Do you see the themes with the Eucharist there? The same similarity to the Eucharist. He took the bread, said the blessing, broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were open and they recognized him. So when we participate in that mass on the altar, we have to recognize Christ as well in there to be fully present. We're going to look at St. Paul's scripture a little bit later on that talks about why that's so important. So we're going to stop right here on this teaching on the Last Supper for the Institute for Catholic Studies and Formation for the Diocese of Venice. And we're going to pick this up at the next session on the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. Thank you for joining me. I'm Dr. Sue Ellen Nolan. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Dr. Sue Ellen Nolan at Authentic Faith and Life on the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. You can find out more about me and my workshops and speaking events at AuthenticFaithAndLife.info.